1: This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello all of you good humans and welcome back to Good Humans guest episode. Today is going to be a fun one. If you are new here and you haven't listened to any of the episodes yet, if this is your first episode, a big thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you here. We do have a huge range of incredible humans to go back through from top sports stars, huge social media stars to some incredible scientists and some incredible mindset coaches. We do have a huge array of great people great humans who you will be inspired by. So make sure you head back and check some of them out. Also hit that subscribe and follow button. It does help us out a lot to have people tuning in every week and yeah continuing to take mental health and just their life in their own hands find some things to be inspired by and really take charge big thanks to the community who does continue to come back there's so many of you who are tuning in week in week out i'm so grateful for you all make sure you do share this with your friends family send us an instagram message if this story has inspired you and yeah just share it around i'm a small business i'm a young fellow having to go with a podcast. Your support means the world to me. So thanks so much for everyone who's getting involved. So today's episode, Rick Cropper. He is a friend of mine from over in the UK. He's a happiness coach and he's such an inspiring dude. He's been through so many ups and downs. His story involves, yeah, some things that he's not proud of, but he's really great how accountable he is with what's happened in his life. He's sort of path moving forward and hopefully people out there can be inspired by his story he's had yeah some really cool things that you'll all be very interested in listening to about his rise to becoming a happiness coach from going through homelessness to being a big dj at some stages in his career and yeah just trying to be the best human he can be now in this stage of his life so welcome to good humans podcast rick cropper how you go mate really good
0: thank you really good how are you
1: Yeah, I'm very well. Bit Not stressed, but a lot on my plate, I was just talking to you off air that a lot's going on in my life right now, which I'm grateful for the obstacles that I am facing. But yeah, I'm excited to have a chat to you. We have known each other for a couple of years now and you've got a lot of really cool stuff going on and a story that you're really excited to share. And I'm really excited to give you this platform because... I know you've been through some tough times and I think a lot of people are going to be inspired by your story. So the first question I want to kick off with is what are you grateful for?
0: Um, It sounds a little bit cheesy, but I am grateful actually for this opportunity right here, right now. I think a lot of my things in my past, I've been grateful for um, times in the past and I'm grateful for who I am right here, right now, today, actually. Um, And that comes on the back of a lot of mistakes and failures and progress but I'm actually, for the first time in my life at 43 years old, I'm grateful for being and practicing to be who I am, actually. Yeah. I don't want that to sound big-headed, but no. I'm grateful for who I am, mate.
1: No, I really love that answer. I think it's important to have that just awareness around who you are and be grateful for that. I think it's a really nice answer. But let's um, let's start the podcast off with let the listeners know who you are and what you do. Where are you from?
0: Um, I'm from UK. Manchester, and my name's Rick, Rick Cropper, and I am actually a happiness coach. Not always happy, but I've got the tips and tools to be happy and and turn the challenging times around quite quickly. So I still have the ups and downs, but I I managed to turn it more into the ups now, which I'm really, really happy and appreciative of. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel the world with my programme Face to Face, And also virtually when virtually online when the pandemic hit. And I just love helping people smile. Actually, it sounds so simple, whether it's strangers in the street, whether it's clients, whether it's friends and, and whether it's myself, actually, if I'm not that happy, just looking at myself in the mirror with a nervous or scared or unhappy smile I, I like to just help as many people smile and be happy as I possibly can.
1: <laughs> right. I, I absolutely love that. I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm sure so many people will smile from this conversation and pick up some great tips from you as we move into what you're up to right now. But, I always like to start my podcast episodes off getting to know your upbringing, your story and what shaped you to be who you are. So let's rewind back to the beginning. Where were you born? Um, and yeah, what was your family life like? Let's say up until your 15, 16 high school years. What was that upbringing like for you?
0: Cool. Uh, I was born in Burnley in Lancashire in UK on, and I lived on a farm. Up until I was six, and I was a very, very happy little boy. I remember when I looked back at him, the little boy that I've healed, I looked back at him and he was a very, very happy little boy until he wasn't, until his mum and dad got divorced, until they hated each other. And then he became a little bit of a confused or a little bit lost. He still was this happy little joyous boy inside, but he he was a little bit, um, a little bit maybe. lost maybe a little bit yeah a little bit lost I think mate yeah so um really good I loved living on the farm loved animals loved playing you know just with all the animals and and loved playing with my sisters and my you know my my parents and my dad and having loves and cuddles from my mom and and playing you know sports with my dad you know when they weren't stressed at each other it was amazing you know but that that was amongst a lot of tea and dinners being thrown at each other and pots being thrown across the room and, and, you know, lots of, you know, challenges, but like, like everyone has, everyone has these, these challenges in life. So um, it was amazing, my childhood actually. And, and we moved a lot when my parents got divorced, I moved uh, with my mum and then my dad, my dad actually won custody of me because at nine years old, my mum was moving to Scotland and I got asked, I got social workers came into my school to ask me who I wanted to live with. Do I want to live with my mum or my dad? And at the time I said my dad, because it, see he was promising me all this happy, full of financial benefits and materialistic things um, and helped me, you know, in, in that sort of ways. And, and sadly, I had I'd made that choice and I ended up, going to live with my dad then and then I didn't see my mum for seven years my mum left me then for seven years and I thought she was in Scotland for all of that time but when I found out later on in life when I actually found my mum's phone number in my sister's uh, phone book at her house when I was babysitting her children one time she had a local phone number and she do she'd only lived in Scotland for three months and actually all that seven I've got goosebumps there all that seven years she was actually like 10 minutes away from me she lived 10 minutes away from me I didn't know that was tough but
1: man how does that make you feel now looking back because that decision as a nine-year-old boy to choose between your mom and your dad man that's going to be hard and then yeah let's talk about that first and then go into like how that made you feel when you found out that your mom was within distance to come and see you and just I guess abandoned (laughs) you that must have been tough
0: I think it's taken me forty-three years to actually come to terms with. Um, I think it's uh, it, it was a challenge, but I, I also am I'm grateful for it because it's 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 shaped the way I am now. So how do I feel? I feel very fortunate that I am here to tell that story. And from the clients that I deal with, it's very it's really helps me with my clients because I can say me too. Because everyone has these type of challenges, whether it's with parents or with family or friends. And I think, yeah, so I think grateful is how it makes me feel now. But it wasn't always like that. It was, I felt shame. I felt guilty for making that decision uh, because I thought I've ruined my mum's life. And and I've gone into a very abusive, so my my mum obviously was quite neglectory and abandoned me and, and left me. And my dad was very abusive and violent because he was overprotective. He was wanting the best for me, but he was, he was, he dealt with me with violence. And I think, I think those polar opposites have shaped my life. I don't like to say sadly, but it definitely challenges my trust in all relationships. Now, whether that's friends or intimate relationships, it, it makes me hard, it makes it more difficult for me to trust because I think my girlfriend's going to leave me or am I going to experience violence from, from another side? And, and so it just, I think it shapes me, it makes me cautious, but it also makes me a little bit fearless as well at the same time because I know I got through it as a little mm. boy and now I know I can get through anything as a, as a grown adult. So it, 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 it makes me, it makes, I'd say the the best word is, is very appreciative and, and
1: very resilient.
0: I would say quite resilient. Yeah. But I think we all are resilient. You know, Mm. I think we are resilient before we, before we experience things that we need to be resilient for. I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for how strong we are but because when challenges hit me, I don't always deal with it out of skill or out of resilience or out of, I think a lot of my success has been born out of desperation, actually, of having no other option. So Mm. I don't think it's like, because I'm clever or intelligent or skillful. I think it's just like I've actually got no other option but to do what I do at that moment. That's what I feel anyway.
1: Yeah, it's like that back against the wall kind of <laughs> feeling of like, you know what, I've got no other option but to succeed here. And, yeah, so often yeah. it does come. And, I mean, it's kind of relates it a bit to sort of that rock bottom thing. Like once you hit rock bottom, you can have that springboard to bounce back off. So kind of hopefully from even just hearing this part of your story, people can find a bit of hope that, you know what, like your situation is – some one of the hardest stories i've heard from a young child to have to deal with like that abandonment feeling that you must have felt once you knew that your mum was living close like far out that must have been hard as a kid to live with what was that like once you found that out because what you would have been about 7 <clears throat> 17 years old like late teenager going through puberty young man how was that to deal with
0: um i found i found it i found that i was trying to become even closer to get my mum's attention, affection and love because I knew that as a a three or four year old little boy, my mum had put me in the rear footwell of the car when she was chasing after my dad while he was cheating. So I was like behind her driver's seat hidden on the floor as a little three or four year old boy while she's chasing after catching my dad cheating with, with the lady. And I think that I had absolute compassion and empathy for my mum of why she would abandon me Mm. because I've made this decision. I'm half my dad, half my mum. And I think, I think, I'm grateful for that. But I think it's not helped my relationship with either parent, because I think my dad hates me because he sees my mum in me. And I think my mum hates me because she sees my dad in me. (laughs) And so growing up at 17, I'd not seen my mum. I'm very loving. I'm very forgiving. I'm very... I just want to be connected. I want to feel like I belong. So Mm. it actually brought us very, very close together. At 17 years old, I was probably cuddling up to mum on the sofa. That sounds, I've never really spoke about that before. Wow. Like I was cuddling up to my mum on the sofa, like at 17 or 18 years old, you know, to watch a movie. Like, because Mm -hmm. I was probably trying to relive those years that I'd missed out on. I'd never thought about that until now.
1: To rebuild that connection. But do you feel like, because as much as it would have felt like she abandoned you did you almost feel a bit of guilt that she or like almost had like you can understand why she did say leave you for seven years because you made that choice to choose your dad like did you feel it was your fault rather than I mean you like looking back and now being an adult you'd obviously look at what your mom did and was living in the area and not trying to connect with you is like that's I mean, in my perspective, terrible parenting and not a great person in that sense. But also as a 17 year old, you might have felt a bit like, you know what, she had every reason to do that because I didn't choose her. Whereas it's it's not a decision that a nine year old should make.
0: I think looking back, Cooper, that I, I, on reflection, it's easy for me to say yes. Mm. I think at the time, I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't learn about life like I know now so I think at the time if I'm honest I wouldn't actually have an answer to say oh I felt guilty or I would definitely say on reflection subconsciously I felt guilty I felt shame I felt disgusted with myself but at the time I didn't sit and think oh I feel guilty "Oh, I feel shame or I feel that I've let my mum down but I think it's a natural reaction that that those are those were suppressed feelings and emotions that I was absolutely experiencing that I didn't know about or know anything about at the time probably
1: at at nine years old like you don't know the implications of making a decision like that at all like you don't have any idea other than and especially at nine years old your dad's probably saying to you like oh I'll buy you the new place I mean it's probably a bit before (laughs) playstations but you know what I mean like you said oh X yeah offering BMX. You, yeah BMX like offering you these incentives to choose him and at nine years old like you don't know any better at all so like I mean I feel for you it's a terrible situation to be put in at such a young age but yeah do you let's, know what yeah you keep going do you know
0: what Cooper do you know what I think actually I think the materialistic things were important as well but do you know what I think which has run through my whole life I had a best friend back then called Gordon and we're still in touch, actually, just now by Facebook. We haven't seen each other for probably 34 years wow. since I left. And I think the biggest thing for me was my dad. I was, I was best mates with Gordon. He, was a, he, was, he didn't have many friends. And I like to help people who maybe don't have many friends mm. have friends. And he probably saw the same in me to a degree. And, and I think we really connected. And I think the biggest thing for me was when my mum was moving away to another country, to Scotland, my dad's one of his promises, and I think probably had the biggest impact on my decision, was that you will still stay friends with Gordon. We we'll, mm-hmm. we'll live nearby, you'll still stay, stay friends with him, that's no problem at all. So I wanted that safe, trusted honest shared relationship with with my best friend Gordon at the time. Mm. And actually when I sadly when I went to live with my dad, I never saw Gordon after that anyway. Wow. But that was a yeah, that was big for me. I think that was the I've got goosebumps to get I get goosebumps sometimes. But (laughs) I've never really thought about that much. But I think that
1: was it's it's great to give you this space to reflect on that. And yeah, because I think it's going to shape very well the story as to why you are the way you are today and doing your happiness coaching. Cause we will get to that part of the story, but let's fast forward now to finishing high school. What was that mm. next goal for you leaving school? What were your career kind of aspirations and what was that next stage of your life looking like for you? Let's say when you hit 20.
0: Yeah, I went, I was fortunate enough to get into a grammar school, which I didn't, I tried my best not to get into the grammar school because I didn't want to get called a swap because I cared so much about other people's opinion. So I actually tried to fail my 11 plus. So I still to this day do not know how I actually got into that grammar school because I really tried my best. I wanted to be part of everyone else. I wanted to fit in with everyone else. So I Mm. tried to fail it. So how I managed to blag my way into grammar school I don't do not know but can I just pause you for
1: one second is grammar school because obviously a a large portion of my audience is from Australia is grammar school when you say your last couple years of like high school or like what age is grammar school or is this university
0: there's there's comprehensive school when when you go at 11 years old to to secondary school there's like a comprehensive school or there's a grammar school where you have to pass you don't have to pay to get in there but you have to pass like a higher
1: okay so it's like a, it's in. like a selective higher school like a gifted school per se. Was,
0: yeah if yeah but i wouldn't say that but yeah that i, I you are right yeah you've yeah. got to yeah cool. so i managed to get into grammar school and i just followed everything that my dad wanted me to do actually the sciences the maths the engineering he saw a lot of potential in me in that sort of respect and so I dropped all the studies like religious studies geography history and I didn't really pay attention to all those but on reflection I, they're the ones that I actually really wanted to do you know the arts the the, the, mm. the softer you know the more personal more emotional or, or people sort of or travel type things. so um, it, I really enjoyed it again I was really lucky through Grammar school, I got like three A's and six B's. Again, I don't know how I got that. I got three A's and six B's and didn't really do any work. But I, I, I don't know how I managed that. I think again, I was really super lucky. Um, but, I, but I was grateful. And then I went on to sixth form again to study, um, st- subjects that my dad wanted me to do, like business studies and maths and mechanics and all these. And it just wasn't me. So like very quickly after three months, I dropped one A-level study. I dropped one and then I dropped another and then I dropped another. And after three months, I was literally just doing the lower level PE. So I was going to the next level um, college or sixth form um, at 16, 17, but just to study what I should have been studying between 11 and 15 years old. So I was just doing PE. So eventually I got sort of st- asked to leave, almost pushed out, or, you know, because I'd, 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 I, bas- I basically had to drop out because I wasn't doing any good there. So um, <clears throat> so I started um, an engineering apprenticeship. And again, I, 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 had, <laughs> I got to like three and a half months of the engineering apprenticeship. And I, I realised six months before I was going to complete it that I never wanted to be an engineer. I joined the army and did three years in the army and realized that I didn't really like being told what to do. And then on reflection, I didn't really know why I joined the army back then. I was like, it's so far against my principles. Like what's actually, I don't even know what's going on in the world at the minute. So I'm like, and I think there's probably a lot of people who don't, who are in the army who, who in different armies who actually don't know what they're maybe even fighting for sometimes mm. you know and I, so I think me look, I don't really talk too much about that because I, I don't understand it enough but on reflection I've been very impulsive into letting people down dropping out of something and then trying to just bounce back as quick as possible without putting too much thought into it and I think more recently, which I know what you'll probably speak about, more recently I had a lot of time to think about what I really wanted to do and that's what really helped shape what I'm doing today, I think.
1: Yeah, it sounds like such an interesting story <laughs> in that early development sort of years after school and heading into your 20s. What was the back end of your 20s, early 30s like? What were you up to in that stage of your life? Because we will go a bit more into depth into this last yeah. five years. But what was yeah. that next stage of your journey like?
0: Um, I joined, I went to do a performing arts course at college, um, which was singing, dancing, not really dancing, movement and um, performance acting. (coughs) Excuse me. And um, it, it was special, actually, that I really, really enjoyed it. But I asked my teacher at the end. I said, do you think I'll, because I love singing. I just love performing. I love singing. Even though I knew that my mom said I was tone deaf and my dad was always like, get a proper job. You're not, you'll never be a singer. I asked my actual college teacher, do you think I'll ever be able to make it as a singer? Because that's all what I wanted to do. And she said, I'm going to be honest with you, Rick. You, you're not going to make it as a singer. <laughs> uh... And then fast forward, like, Three months after that, I got a job as an entertainer and then I became a singer and a DJ for the next 20 years of my life professionally. Wow.
1: <laughs> no way. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you you can't do it to go and achieve it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and, but, I, but I think it's still affecting me because every single high note that I had to hit throughout performing well over a 1,000 weddings, charity events, celebrity events around the world, Every time I got to a a high note, like in Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers or something, it was always, I never had the confidence to hit the note. Even though in rehearsal I know I could hit the note, Mm. out in live performance, the microphone would go to the crowd at that point because I didn't have the confidence. So it it did affect me, but it worked.
1: It's crazy how much somebody telling you something can affect you. Like for me, for instance, I got told when I was about... 1617, I had a team manager for one of the sponsors I rode for in surfing. And we had a dinner with a few of the like kind of big corporate sponsor people. And I tried to tell a story and I, I'm pretty sure I got kind of a bit lost in the story and missed the punchline. That's kind of stupid. Anyway, we left dinner and I remember him clearly like telling me on the drive home in the car, he's like, mate, you suck, suck at storytelling. Don't tell stories anymore. And, like, and now I've made a career out of, like, I host a podcast, I tell stories. So I get up and speak in front of people all the time and storytelling is kind of one of my stronger points. So it's, uh, it's, I, you, just, I just relate to that quite a bit, to this idea. But it took, me, it took me years to actually over, not even overcome that. I kind of just, like, accepted it. And to be honest, reflecting on it now, I go, you know what? I have the humility to say you know, I probably was shit at storytelling. That's the thing. Like, too many people take something to heart Whereas now with criticism, I take it as like this opportunity to be like, hey, if anyone criticizes you, it's free information. If it's mean criticism, I call it destructive criticism, then that's a bit more of a reflection on that person. Because like I know the reason why he told me that was because he thought it made him look bad to the other people that night. Whereas because I'm like there with him as like a representation of this person that he sponsored. But then now, like obviously back then, I didn't have it back then. It crumbled me. I didn't tell a story out around people for years. But now upon reflection, I'm like, oh, you know what? That was just free information for me to improve my storytelling.
0: Yeah. And do you know what as well, just to to share something there with you that I've, that probably has shaped and changed my life around what you just said. I share this with all my clients, my friends, and as many people as I can, I believe that we are always talking to ourselves. so if that person is saying that to you saying that you suck at storytelling that person is absolutely saying that to themselves because that's their belief about themselves and it's projected onto you like Mm -hmm. you say to make them feel better yeah And, and i really believe that and and i see that and that helps me with compassion for my parents and really helped me accept, forgive, or have compassion for, at least with my parents, that every time they were hitting me or being nasty to me, it was because of something that they'd unfulfilled in their own mm. lives. And where it's also helpful, if I ever ca- I don't, I don't believe that I judge as or I def, I can't say that I never judge, but mm. I I believe I judge as little as possible and if I ever catch myself judging someone or comparing myself to someone or saying something to someone about a situation or an idea I realize that I'm talking to myself and that's what happened with my happiness program I was living helping people be happy and and eight eight people told me that I'd saved their lives but I wasn't happy I was telling everybody the advice, what I needed to practice. Mm. And they were then coming back to me and saying, you've changed my life. You've actually saved my life with your program. You've, the advice that you've given has completely helped me in, in many, many ways. And I felt after enough people had told me that I was like, it's time to actually start practicing what I preach.
1: Yeah. We, you know, and, and we had this we conversation teach... when we spoke last week. Like, I feel quite often the same. Like, I feel like I do, I get so much great feedback from the podcast to the workshops I run to the community I've built. But I think it's just important to realize that nobody's perfect and we are going to slip up and we aren't going to be on our game always and the more I kind of reflect on that for me it does give me a bit more kind of compassion towards myself but you are right I think it just takes accountability so often like we yeah. do offer great advice to people but like you said we're usually offering it to somebody else as a reflection of a reminder <laughs> to ourselves that we need to do it
0: yeah, absolutely which just saying that out loud and-
1: right now I'm like you know what that's probably why I teach all this stuff because I know how badly I need it and I probably don't practice it as much as I should. I mean, I definitely meditate every day and practice gratitude, which are massive, big input in my life. But I do know there's so many other things that I am kind of lacking right now in my life, like my fitness and exercise. I've been so fit for the last 10 years with my surfing, but that's fallen well and truly off the bandwagon just because I mean, it's just an excuse. I've been super busy with so many things from three podcasts a week to running multiple workshops a week to working 20 to 30 hours a week to be able to afford to be able to continue doing what I'm doing while I'm building it. But there's always time in the day to fill in the gaps and the things that are not we aren't fulfilling to be as healthy and happy as possible.
0: And I think that's really interesting as well when you talk about perfectionism, because I believe that's what brought you and I together. Mm. I... When, when I had all, all my challenges, I, I, I lost basically everything and everyone in my life in between 2016, October, and January 2017. I lost absolutely everything. And then I was homeless from October 2016 to January 2018. And I think when you and I met, I was, obviously I was delivering my happiness programme around the world, but when you and I met... I'd learned about Steve Biddulph and Maggie Dent while I was delivering my program in Australia. And I want, I was basically on a journey not only to help people be happy and learn about from face to face contact, what made people happy, peaceful, free, rather than just Googling it, I had to travel the world and learn by looking into the whites of people's eyes. Mm -hmm. I learned about Maggie Dent and Steve Biddulph. I was on a journey not only to try and find happiness for myself, to try to become the perfect parents because when everything fell down on me the addiction the homelessness the bankruptcy all the different you know the the alcoholism everything when everything all that hit and took everything away from me having to resign as a firefighter having to lose my business in entertainment as a DJ and singer because I couldn't even pick up a microphone anymore a microphone had always been my lightsaber like a Star Wars lightsaber but I got to a point that I couldn't even hold a microphone so I couldn't perform I'd like I'd something that I'd done for 20 years or above I couldn't actually do it anymore <clears throat> so it got me a lot of hate through social media because I I just didn't have the confidence to, to to continue performing and 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 when all that hit I was just completely lost and Uh, when we talk about perfectionism now I met you as I was trying to become the perfect parent as I still am to Mm. learn from experts within the parenting industry because going back to my original story of me as a little boy I now see history which is which really has held me back a lot I see history repeating itself with me as a dad so when you Mm. say reflect on, when you ask me to reflect on the 17 year old me I find it difficult to reflect on that 17 year old me because I don't know how he he was feeling at the time <clears throat> but now I can absolutely be compassionate with my mum why she would have just left and and not had the courage to come back or I understand even why my dad was super overprotective of me because I'm now living that life and living that life of what do I do for the best for my son? Do I fight? Do I accept? Do I just get myself better? And that's all I've chosen to do, Mm. get myself and as many people around me as strong as possible. But it's like, how perfect do I have to be so that I can be Alfie's dad again? Because Mm. I'm reaching out all the time and I just get snubbed for the last five, six years I send emails, birthday cards, presents, Christmas, everything all the time. And I literally get a big long, I send a big, long heartfelt email, cards, presents, everything. And every single time I'm lucky if I get a response at all. But if anything, I will get a copy and paste. Hi, Rick. Uh, Alfie has received your cards and presents. Many thanks. On this occasion, he has chosen not to reply. Kind regards, Alfie's mum. And that's the, that is, I've got five, six years worth of, of, of those emails. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I still try. I travel the world. Alfie's got here, he's got a suitcase full of gifts from around the world, from cuddly toys in Alaska to handwritten, hand signed books by the authors from Alaska to buskers on Sydney Harbour signing their CDs to him to woolly hats from Scandinavia, to, to, you know, from when I went to Kenya volunteering, matching um, bracelets that the that, that, that children made for me when I was volunteering in Kenya. He's got a plethora of, of gifts from around the world, on Mount Fuji, all, all around the world. But I, it's my biggest fear that Alfie will never get this sentimental box, that this sentimental suitcase that I've got for him. Mm. And and it, it I don't know what to do with it because yeah. to anyone opening this up, it's just a box of toys and gifts and T-shirts and CDs and books and bricks yeah, yeah. and and uh, but to I, I, yeah so
1: anyway so yeah. I, no I guess, no a, no, no I think that's a really good leeway into rewinding back to this destructive <clears throat> part of your life because obviously now you're this happiness <clears throat> coach yeah obviously a great guy from what I've known of you the last couple of years but there's obviously some dark part of your past and some part of your story that has created this disconnection from your child and your um, old partner. Can you go back to that part as much as you want to talk about it, but obviously there's a destructive part, why she has this opinion of you as who you are. Do you want to share a little bit about the sort of person you were when you went through this and why maybe you went through this stage of your life? (laughs) I love that what? you've
0: asked that question and I love that you've asked that question and I, and I don't, I've not really, really thought about this answer until actually just now. And I, I realise my self, my real self-destructive life that I have to take full responsibility for started probably when I was about 21, 22 <clears throat> and I'd literally just come off the back of getting back in touch with my mum after being away from her for seven years and had a few years back with her trying to get that affection back. But actually, it was when I first went to Ibiza, when I put water between my dad and me, and I actually felt free for the first time. I became a DJ in Ibiza. So my self-destructive... I felt free for the first time. So I then turned to cocaine, alcohol, cigarettes, girls. Um I was just numbing all my pain that I'd experienced on reflection probably for the for the, the previous 10, 15 years. Because that finally I was like, wow, is this what life's all about? I can actually mm-hmm. like, I can DJ people are bouncing to my music, all this. And I was like, this is amazing. I've got the sunshine, I've got girls. I was terrible. I was terrible. I was. Terrib- I was if I look back at the younger me, I wouldn't get on with him very much. Or I would really sort of discipline him a little bit and say, maybe this is a little bit of the wrong path to go on. But I had no guidance. Mm. So I think the self-destructive and ways that I found to connect. Cocaine never left me. My mum left me. Mm. My dad beat me. Cocaine didn't beat me. And cocaine didn't leave me. It was always there for me. It, mm. it, it was, and it made me feel great. It, it gave me the confidence that I didn't ever have, or the mm. courage. And now I am like, I think I'm a thousand and fifty days clean, sober, and smoke free. I stopped on July, on June, the twenty second, two thousand nineteen. I stopped cocaine, alcohol, and cigarettes all on the same day. And I've realized how difficult that has been socially because I lost friends that I had for 25 or 30 years. I realized how difficult that was mentally and physically for me because I was like, this has been a big part of my life. Now what? Mm. What am I going to fill my life with? And also like when I'm out now, I don't go out. Probably I've been out five or six times on a Saturday night over the last five or six years. And I go out and I feel like I'm like so shy. And, and I was always the first on the dance floor. I was bouncing as a DJ on the, on, the, on the tables, you know, like everything. Me on stage as a singer, performer or a DJ was this super confident, strong, happy, full of life human being.
1: Mm.
0: Behind closed doors, he was lost, sad, lonely, desperate, and just didn't know what to do for the best for him, for his life or for anyone around him because he was just, and it, and I was blind, on reflection, I was blind to how much damage I was causing to the people around me.
1: Yeah. And when think, did, did you meet your partner? Like, I want to get to the part about your child and <clears> how you met your partner. Were you guys together, like, planning a child and then the relationship fell apart? Because I feel like there'll yeah. be some people listening to this who might get i mean, a couple of um, Facebook groups with guys who do talk quite often about losing custody of kids and the journey that it goes on, like obviously hearing before you buying presents for your kid from all around the world and being clean for three to four years. And I'm sure a massive driver was, of that is to prove to your old partner that you are deserving of being a dad to your child and obviously the work you're doing now. So what was the relationship like with, was she your partner at the time when you had your child? Mm. What, was, what was that? Yeah. And how yeah. old is your child?
0: Uh, he's eleven. He's twelve in July. He's called wow. Alfie. Alfie Max. <laughs> um, I think I've always, all my life, I've wanted my dad to say I love you or I'm proud of you, and he never has. Whatever I've achieved, he never has. And I think when I was, I, I, I was, um, I was running an entertainment company in Cyprus with over three hundred entertainers. And that I was working flat out, so I had no time. And then towards the end of the summer, I met Alfie's mum. And we set up an entertainment company together. And we sadly lost... We, we, we met in the... I think we met in the 2008. And then in the July 2009... In the July 2009, um, we sadly lost a baby in Cyprus. And it was horrible. It... it it, the the miscarriage in I can't imagine how Alfie's mum felt because for me watching it, it it was like she was being butchered it was it was it was horrible. At the same time, her parents, her mum had found out that her dad was cheating on her for multiple years, and so she then came. Her mum and her sister and her sister's best friend came to live with us in Cyprus in the busiest time of the year in the middle of the summer just as we'd lost a baby and just as she was going through a heartbreak because she'd found out her husband had been cheating on her for all these years. So I i don't feel that I was pushed out really, but I felt that I needed to give her mom and her space. And I think maybe on reflection, she maybe feels that I didn't support her as much, but I felt that I couldn't get in or I felt that it was time to give them space.
1: Was it so because we lost- did, we're, were you busy with work? We quite using like yeah, I, drugs and alcohol quite heavily while you're working upon reflection. Cause yeah, it sounds like you <clears> reflecting, wanting to give us space, but yeah, it's the way that people perceive yeah. things sometimes.
0: Yeah. At that point I wasn't taking drugs, but I was, I was drinking a lot to yeah. numb my pain and I was, abs- if I wasn't drinking, I was working. Yeah. Um, and, and that was basically my life back then. Yeah. So yeah, um, that yeah, so that that and in it was the main time of the season. So I was performing. I was either performing, working, or or drinking or sleeping. And so that really, really affected that part of the life. And then so we decided after it being so that that the system not did not seeming to be as caring as what we would have liked it to be, what it could have potentially been in the UK, we moved back to the UK. And then we realized. In the November, just as we moved back, Alfie's mum was pregnant. Was pregnant with Alfie, so he'd been conceived in Cyprus. And in the November, we found out that in the following July, we were going to have little Alfie. Uh-huh. So it was like it was just perfect. You know, it was it was great. And and still to this day, even though I, I don't agree with some of her decisions uh, around Alfie. I understand that and I believe that she's the best mum for my son that I could ever imagine. Mm. I believe that she's got external influences from other people in her life, Um, the new husband that she's married and potentially other people. So I understand that she wants to protect Alfie, but I also think that other people may be throwing fuel on the fire to stop how beautiful our relationship is. Alfie loves both his mum and his dad. Mm. And I, I don't think sometimes people like that. That's all I can say about that. But yeah, yeah. I know she, I know she's got his best interests because when she had Alfie, we made the decision that she wasn't going to work so that she could put all her time into him and, and take him for walks, take him for baby massage, do everything. And she was the best, like... Fresh, she made everything fresh for him. Nothing was out of, not that it's a bad thing out of Joy's, but everything was made fresh. Like mm. fruit, fresh fruit, veg. It was put in those like Mr. Freeze pops in the freezer. Mm. He was getting the bet the very best of everything. And still to this day, I believe that she dotes on him and she loves him with all her heart, as Alfie loves her too. She just gives him the, the very best of everything. Um, so I'm very grateful although I would love to see my son. I'm yeah. very grateful for what a good mum she is.
1: And how long were you guys together when Alfie was around and what brought the end to that relationship for you? God, if you, I, I mean, he
0: was going to
1: ask me that. Um, I mean, you don't have to answer it, absolutely. No, I, it's completely fine, but I think it sets up for – because I'm sure people are asking in their head, why isn't she letting you see? But, I mean, if you don't want to answer it, absolutely fine. No, I,
0: No, I I live a life now that is absolutely open and honest in every way. And I think that I lost attraction for her at very soon after the birth of Alfie. I watched the birth. I cut the cord. And sadly, and I hate saying this, but I think probably the biggest impact was me actually watching the birth. It, it, It was like I didn't it was a beautiful experience but also probably quite wow oh, yeah. like yeah, shocking yeah. At, yeah at the time and i think that very soon after that time i don't i can't pinpoint exactly why mm. but i think my attraction lost at that point and i feel that she felt that my attraction lost mm. and for 3 years i tried to get that attraction back and also, I know that she put up with my grumpiness and she w- was trying to be, you know, she was trying yeah, to yeah. be sexy. She was dressing up and putting suspenders on and, and I was like laughing at her because I found it funny rather than finding it sexy. And I can't imagine how that made her feel. And I yeah, hate, yeah. i don't hate myself for that, but I, I have hated myself in the past for that, that she was trying to get this attraction back and I wasn't... gone so I ended up being that uncomfortable staying at home that I was working away so much around Europe and Dubai and I found every opportunity to be away from home so that I didn't have the awkwardness of being at home in bed to which then she thought that I was away cheating to then I don't blame her for this but I'm under the impression that she'd met someone as an overlap and I don't believe blame her for one bit because I mm. was not present with her. Yeah. And I think that that was the cause of the end. It was on a, it was, it was a, it was her, it was her birthday. She was born in 86. This was 2013. It was her 27th birthday. Was it 27th birthday? 86,
1: 2013. Yeah. Yeah. That.
0: Something it, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was her 27th birthday and it was the first birthday that I'd, I'd always I always put thoughts into every present that I get. But this one i would really gone overboard when she went in a shower in the morning. I've got all these. She loved art. So I've got all these canvases and easels and everything like that. I put it all on the bed and she came out and I thought I'm going to really this is hopefully the, the, the start of something really yes. we're going to really try now. And we just both looked at each other and cried and we both said, it's over, isn't it?
1: Mm. It's
0: finished. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I I
1: feel like so many other people I'll I'll let you keep going, but I just feel like a lot of other people are going to be able to relate to that. It's like something that obviously is sad and something that people make this commitment with a child and marriage and a partner, but this does happen and it is quite common, I think. And your courage to share that story, I think is, um, is going to really resonate with some people but yeah continue because I guess the next question is why you aren't allowed to see your child whether you want to go into that or not but that's um yeah that's kind of the next question
0: absolutely absolutely that was 2013 when we separated and we made because of my childhood and probably because of my desperation to get the absolute best for Alfie we made an agreement written and signed it but it was majority the stuff that I'd put in for example I wanted us to share all birthday present all main birthday presents and Christmas presents so Alfie knew that he was getting one big present and it was from both mum and dad so he was not playing one off against the other so we were still a unit so there was things like that he he was with us 50% of the time so we made all these agreements that Alfie was going to have the best thing but it was it was me basically saying I don't want Alfie to grow up yeah with parents like I did so let's be together on this so we signed that so Alfie was with us both 50% of the time each and that worked great for two years until it came to light that she was wanting to move over with her new partner to another county which was like an hour away and then we had to enter into a court battle because um she wanted to reduce my time from 50% To basically 19% of the time with Alfie so every second weekend and no you know no time through the week so it was basically reducing our time she also wanted to take him out of an excellent performing school and put him in a school that was graded two grades down from where he was and so my argument at the time was in the court, can we not get somewhere halfway between for Alfie a school halfway between so he can continue the fifty percent of time with us each? It can still be an outstanding school that he goes mm. to, and is that okay? And the judge at the time thought that was a reasonable option, so it was not unsettling for Alfie. But then, before the final hearing of that court, the judge changed and ended up
1: starting um, with the mother. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I accepted it, and that, so I, I felt already at that point I was trying to be pushed out and pushed out. Um, I would like to think not intentionally, uh, but, but I was definitely being pushed out. Um, so then I was struggling with that. I was I, I was DJing and singing and performing at the time, but I started really struggling financially and started going into bad habits again. Uh, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes—not when I was with Alfie on the weekend, but I was two different people. I was mm. trying to be seven, eight out of ten dad when I was with him, but the opposite weekend, I was—I was hedonistic. I was—I was really damaging myself, mm. um, and that's why I'm grateful, I suppose, in a really strange way, that I got stopped seeing Alfie because it's made me clean, sober, smoke-free living absolutely consciously so it's changed me a lot for the better and I think if I hadn't had that experience taken away from me at the time I would probably still be living that life of one week good dad next week Mm. dangerous human being um so yeah so that then slowly slowly I got more pushed out more pushed out I got into financial difficulties I started living this really self-damaging life I tried to fill my life with extra work extra gigs I became a part-time firefighter which I never really fulfilled that job because I I wanted to just fill my life with work as much as I possibly could Um, and so I was just trying to do everything and, and 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 it was too much I was Working in sales for a construction company on the side, like helping out a company like that. I was uh, a part time firefighter. I was trying to run my business as a singer and a DJ, doing lots of weddings. And it just, I was just trying to do too much. I was trying to spread mm. myself absolutely too thin, but I just wanted to provide because I was struggling so much financially. I was trying to get the money in, but as quick as the money was coming in, it was absolutely going out. So I hit a point in september october 2016 where i couldn't go on anymore actually i um no i've never ever said this to anyone i'm gonna say it um my whole life was crumbling financially um emotionally um and my ceiling came down at home, bearing the beams. And I thought it was a sign for me to go. I thought it was my sign. So I put a rope up on the beam that the ceiling had, had um, was there. Because I, I thought it, it's my time to go. I'm failing at everything in my life. Relationships, my business, my business is fish failing because I've got no confidence because I'm not performing well in relationships or as a dad, or, you know, I just felt that it, it was time to rid the world of me. <laughs> um, and I didn't do it. And three weeks later to the day, my best friend took his own life. Um, and that's when I think I felt the most guilt. I think that's when I felt, if I'd have taken my life on that day, maybe he would have had the wake up call that I had when he chose that it, he wanted to take his own life or or chose to take his own life, whether he wanted to or didn't. I, I don't mm-hmm. know that, but we'd had a lot of conversations around that time, and and I just wish I could have helped him more because I was the one, if anyone who could have helped him and I didn't help him as much as what he needed me to.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: yeah.
1: Oh, man, thank you so much for sharing. Like it's, it's so powerful and I bet it feels <laughs> quite liberating to share that story and have that honesty. Cause I know obviously this podcast is all around mental health and it's so powerful to have, people like you be so vulnerable and share stories like that do you think that was the driving force for hello happiness to start and for you to really dedicate your life to spreading happiness and to showing people that life is worth living
0: it massively was because it was the breakdown and meltdown around that time that i experienced in myself that that fueled every single thing behind hello happiness because at that in, in that in those in and around those times, because of my own mistakes and my own flaws and failings in business, I'd lost everything. Between October 2016 and January 2017, I became homeless. I lost contact with all my family and all my friends. Everyone alienated me. The way I'd been alienated as a child, I then felt alienated as an adult. I had I lost two cars. And I managed to hold on to my van for a little while. I, um, I just I had to go bankrupt. I was an addict. I was drinking alcohol all day, every day. At this point, I'd got stopped seeing my son. I had two court cases against me, one for criminal damage and one for violence, which were reactions that I'd done, but accidents, but they wouldn't have happened if I'd have been in a good state of mind. So I had all these things. I had a breakup from my partner at the time. I had to resign as a firefighter before I'd even got started doing it properly. So I just felt the all time failure. And I was very, very fortunate for one of the court hearings. The police officer helped me and said, you were in the forces when you were younger, weren't you? You were a soldier when you were younger give this number a ring and they put me into a homeless hostel to help me back on my feet and I had three other options at that time I had two friends who invited me to go there and I had a girl who invited me to live in her house as well and I had people urging me don't go into the homeless hostel for veterans because you'll become a product of the environment you'll become an average of the five people around you and the rebel inside me was like no if I'm not going to help them who's going to help them so that was the, that I thought that I needed to do that so I went into the homeless hostel and while I was still homeless I built a program to help the severely damaged and challenged people with PTSD with drug addictions with alcoholism with violence problems with suicide considerations with all these different things I created a programme, it was called at the time, Start With You. And it was basically about starting with you to look after your home, your health, your education, your training that you need for the, the work that you want to do, and then reverse engineering it back so that you can get to where you want to be with some simple steps. And the, the ladies who looked after us, the carers at the time, told me that I had something quite special here. So it then became Hello Happiness. And while I was still, I was still trying to go to motivational talks then just to try and keep my sort of life going, if that makes sense. And I went to a motivational talk and I met a gentleman there who I shared my story with, even though I was embarrassed about where I was and and felt shame because I was I didn't have electric for sometimes for four or five days. I had to go to the food banks to get the food for me and the rest of the veterans because we just didn't have anything at all. Um, And he offered to donate me some clothes. And I then thought, right, what can I do with Hello Happiness? Because it wasn't a program as such then. It was just a simple few tips and techniques around a presentation called Start With You. So I decided I wanted to really make a go of it and and if i if i was going to make a go of it i had to dig really really deep so i changed all my i was anything but happy so i created an alter ego called mr happy dj happy happiness coach whatever it was and i changed all my profiles on my linkedin to being a happiness coach and i made a, a vision board Of all the luxury brands around the outside that I could, that I would like to deal with in all the chosen areas of life that I loved, whether it's automotive, holidays, travel, TV, entertainment, music, whatever it was, they were all around the outside. And then all the heart things that I wanted to support, all the charities, the African charities, the mental health charities, the heart foundations, the cancer charities, all those real. the real things what I wanted to support were in the middle and I added every single HR director health and wellness manager from all of these brands on social on my LinkedIn and probably one of the most lucrative brands in the world uh added me at five or six o'clock on that morning and then at nine o'clock they asked me if I could do happiness seminars at their head office for when they had 5,000 staff. (laughs) And I was like, of course I can. You know, like I'd been doing it all my life. (laughs) So then I had to just get to work and and I had, I think, um, 24 hours, 48 hours, two days, because I was going to present my happiness seminar to the decision makers, the seniors at this car company, and I went, I, I put it together, I managed to do it, and I presented it to them. And they said, Ah, okay. And I went in donated clothes, in all my donated clothes, while I was still out of living out of the hostel, just cleaned myself up as much as I could. And um, I went and presented, and they said, Ah, we'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. And this is where the desperation comes in. I wasn't skilled. I just had to, I was desperate. So I said, um, please, what would it take for us to shake on a deal today? Because, you know, because I really want to work with you. So can you let me know a price it needs to be or what you want me to do? Cause I really would love to work with you. Unfortunately, the lady Amy gave me a chance and she told me the price point that I needed to hit, told me what I needed to do. We shook hands on it. And she said, can you get a proposal to us in 48 hours? And I was like, absolutely. No problems. <laughs> and then I went away thinking, shit, how do I put a proposal together? I haven't even got a company. So in 48 hours, I had to set up a, com- a limited company because they, they that, that's what they wanted to deal with. I had to create a proposal with terms and conditions, contractual agreements, what I was going to offer. And, it, and I'm literally like, wow, what am I doing here? I don't, I don't even have any knowledge. And I managed to do it within 36 hours. I got the proposal, terms and conditions, the company set up, all these DUNS numbers, all these different VAT numbers, what they wanted. I managed to get everything set up straight away, sent it over to them. They signed it. And, and booked me for time in the March and April and also said it's going to it's going to take a few months because we'd like you to be actually a full supplier for us and I was like wow like so it wasn't just a one-off booking they wanted to deal with me and I was like wow this is amazing and they didn't know I was homeless at the time actually and so I dealt with that company for maybe I still deal with a company now, but maybe I dealt with a company for four years. And then they I do talks for them and one-to-one coaching, and, and I create and the training program that I've created from the contribution of everyone around the world that's helped me develop that company develop that program. I said, You book me now for this thing called extraordinary talks four years on. Do you mind if I do a talk on appreciation? they were like absolutely so i did a talk for them just saying how much they'd probably saved or changed my life back then and it was just you could have heard a pin drop because they never knew anything about my homelessness how i was living in my van at the time um you know i i'd done i'd done their christmas party as a dj actually and i thought i'd done it the year before but i'd done it when i was homeless living in my van and then the following year, I'm teaching their staff happiness, and I just don't know how it happened. Uh, I, it was just a whirlwind. It was born absolutely out of desperation. And then following that, I start to get a bit of com- a bit of confidence or courage. I get my own place. I'm back in in my own house, my, my own home. And within two months of doing the 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 uh, the happiness program with that company, I then won a contract to go to Canada, San Francisco and Alaska and do my programme up there. DJ around the world as well. I managed to, like, I basically, because I've been a DJ all my life, I basically said, can I come and be a DJ for your company? But in the daytime, can I please deliver my happiness programme to help people with the happiness? So they were like, absolutely, that's a freebie. So I was doing enrichment lectures for the guests and DJing in the evening as well as helping the crew or the staff or the employees of the companies that I was working at. And I wasn't making lots of money from it, but it was enough to cover my costs for my living costs. After Alaska, North America, I got the opportunity to go down to Asia, China, Japan, Singapore. And they said, can you do four months with us in and around, uh, can you do two months with us in and around China and Japan? And then can you go to Australia doing the same four months after that and I was like this is a dream come true this is absolute I couldn't it was just mad and I wasn't I I just don't know how it's all happened because literally Mm. I did 104,000 miles in 11 months and delivered my program in every single continent two months after being homeless
1: that's incredible man like your story it's phenomenal I've got so many questions um (laughs) but so for one when with your program what does it entail for starters? Cause I think there might be some people who might want to, Was is it kind of just telling your story and then tricks and tips? Because I mean, I I'm sure you felt the same with imposter syndrome at the start. I feel that way talking about mental health. Like I don't have a psychology degree, but I just love telling stories, sharing skills and tips that I've learned because I think people being inspired by storytelling, not necessarily by education. So I think, Yeah, I'd love to know what sort of things you talk about with people and maybe some tricks and tips that you have for happiness for the listeners out there.
0: Yeah, I think at the time I'd created this training program that I wanted to I wanted to make people think that I was good at what I did. So I was trying to tell people what they needed to do from a training program around compassion, self-compassion, connection, appreciation, gratitude, kindness all these different tips and activities that I created around that, for example, just simple questions like, what makes you happy? How -hmm. often are you doing what makes you happy? And the amount of times that I ask that to people and they don't know, or they say, I love cooking. And I'm like, Oh, when was the last time you cooked? And they're like, wow, I haven't cooked for years actually properly. Like, and I'm like, wow or they love music but they don't listen to music or they love trying new things but they don't really try new things because they just do what they feel life has said to them so i ask questions and it could be what's most important to you when do you feel most alive um what do you love about yourself and I, i i ask these questions to people on my first meeting and people think i'm weird and my friends feel really awkward when I'm asking it, but I'm like, I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. If it makes them ask themselves a question, what do I love about myself or what makes me happy? And then they start doing it. That's what's most important to me.
1: Mate, you, did, you literally did that to me. So, so just for a bit <laughs> of context. So Rick and I met, oh, it would have been two years ago. I was doing, I sat on a panel with Maggie Dent and a few others um in a parenting thing same thing I did not know how I was on that panel but that's like it's weird how the world works but I did not know how I was on this panel to give I can't even remember what my topic was I can't even remember what I was asked to speak about they're like can you speak on this topic and I was like yeah why not same I guess as your story but then yeah fast forward two years you were just a very actively um, you were just a participant of this um workshop that I guess we were uh, panelists on and you reached out to me after because you're obviously going through a lot of stuff with your son and you were very curious to try and improve yourself. Um, yeah, so then you go into two years later, we reach out, you reach out to me on LinkedIn. You're like, how you been, mate? We kind of touch base every now and then on LinkedIn. And yeah, we caught up like two weeks ago and you started telling me this story. But to round back to where I was going with this was I re- now remember you asking me two weeks ago and me, you're saying like, have you reflected on it? Like, cause I was talking to you about like getting close to the end of my surf career. And you're like, have you taken a moment to actually reflect on like what you've done? And it took, and I remember we spoke for about five minutes on it. You just kind of talking me through me actually taking some time to reflect and think about my life and be like, wow, I have been on a crazy journey, but yeah, obviously that's the sort of person you are that you can bring out in people this reflection. And it's such a powerful tool.
0: I just want people to appreciate and love who they are right now. Mm. Um, When I look back at my life, I don't know anyone who was more attentive or more desperate for everyone to have an amazing time when I was DJing or singing than than me. I don't think I was the best DJ or the best singer, but I I was absolutely desperate. And if that meant me going around every single table asking what their favourite music was... Uh, to make sure that everyone was having a good time or me really observing like Yes, I've got a full dance floor, but there's that one guy over there who looks a bit miserable. I'm going to go over one-to-one and say, what's your favourite music, mate? And then asking him and then singing his next his favourite song or something and getting him included, bringing him getting him involved was so important for me. And I did that in every... And I think that's what made me successful in that performance because I wanted to include every single person mm. and, and make every person feel special. Yeah. Um, at least worry-free for at least a moment that night. And, 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 and I think, I think on reflection, and that's why I shared it with you, because you have been in the top 100 global surfers in the last 10 years. And I don't think you've given yourself credit for that enough. And I think mm-hmm. what I don't want you to do is, like I did, 20 years on, look back and go, yes, I was a good soldier. Yes, I was a good dad. Yes, I was a good singer or DJ, but I didn't appreciate it in that moment. I want to help people realise, like, I am actually, that is, like, you are in the top 100 surfers in the world for the last 10 years. Like, how how does that settle in for you? Like, have you ever really thought about that?
1: Up until, to be honest, last week when (laughs) you asked me that question, I really had it and it has given me a few weeks kind of to digest that and it's really humbled me and made me come to terms and be content with it because there is a bit of a weird transition that a lot of athletes and a lot of people do do when they transition between careers, they do feel this loss of identity but just that question you asked me really did make me reflect and be like far out like as much as I haven't maybe achieved the goals that I have set my set out for myself I have still achieved far more than so many but also far more than maybe I would have realized I could have achieved back if you asked me as a kid and so many people would have loved the career I had and not that comparison is anything it kind of just does make me be like you know what there's hundreds there's probably 100 million servers on the planet I've been in the top 100 for years and it's a powerful thing but I mean I don't want to talk about me for too much more but I want to ask you just kind of maybe some tips that you have for people or if you want to speak directly to the guests for a minute right now and just ask them some questions that maybe if you're sitting in your car right now or if you're sitting at home listening to this podcast Rick can maybe ask you some questions that maybe are important to reflect based on what you've taught your clients
0: I would say I would say, are your circle of friends making you smile, laugh and feel encouraged to be able to share your successes and celebrate those successes deeply together? Because if they're not, if you've got friends, family, who every time you share something good that you've done, they put you down or they don't make you feel as fulfilled or special as what it is, I would say, however hard that may be, it would be useful to spend maybe a little bit less time with them, and mm. find people. Uh, I met a lady, um, a wonderful, remarkable lady, uh, when I was doing my program in New Zealand, and she actually messages me still now to see if she can, it's okay if I've got time for her to share good news with me. She bought an apartment on the Gold Coast, probably near you, right on the coast, and couldn't tell any of her friends and family because they'd be jealous or they would not give her the credit. And she rings me to tell me to share her success. And mm. I've met her once at one of my sessions. And then for a short period afterwards, she, she spoke to me and asked if, asked if she could have a one-to-one and we stayed friends ever since. She then introduced me to all her friends in and around South Africa and Zimbabwe um, to do my program around there as well and i was just like we need so i say the first point is are your friends or the people that you're messaging look at like your last few messages are those friends encouraging you to do better and encouraging you for who you are right now and appreciating and loving and valuing you for who you are right now or are they throwing throwing water on your flames mm. and i think that's really really important
1: It's really powerful. I love that question. That made me just reflect so much. And for one, reflect and be grateful for the people I do have around me now, but also reflect on the people that used to be around me and understand. And it is a big Australian culture thing. I don't know how much time you spend here, but we call it. Have you heard of tall poppy syndrome before? No. So tall poppy syndrome is the way that if think of a field of poppies and one of them grows taller, people like to snip it down. So everyone's back at the same level. So it's like wow. this kind of, you know what I mean? So it's like in a field of poppies, if one of them grows taller than the other, instead of being able to thrive and grow, everyone will chop you down. So you're back down to their level. So it's this idea. And I love that concept. It's something that I'd really try and lean into this idea of being happy when other people succeed and being an athlete, there was years where I used to almost, if I lost in the surf comp, want my friends to lose because I didn't want them to do better than me, which is a poisonous jealousy thing to have, And the work I've been doing in self-development and gratitude and understanding that I learned a lot from Jay Shetty and a few other people who are just great thinkers of the world and have a lot of wisdom. And the concept I think of now is if you're only happy when you achieve goals, you have one opportunity to be happy. If you're happy when you and your four best friends do well, there's five opportunities to be happy. Imagine if you can be happy when you see anybody succeed. Happiness is unlimited. But if you're only happy when you succeed... There's a limit. There's your ceiling. You're you're only waiting for your happiness sort of wavelengths where you're going to hit your happiness and then you're going to be down unless you're succeeding. So I think that relates so much to really basing those people around you to find people who can be happy. And hopefully people listening to this can maybe reflect on how they are to their friends when they succeed and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not supportive. Maybe I'm not as good of a friend as I think I am. And that's okay. That's completely fine. What it takes is accountability and reflection to improve, to be a bit more supportive when your friends do well.
0: Mm, I love everything what you said then, Cooper. And with regards to happiness or joy or peace or kindness, I I always thought there was maybe two dimensions of, of happiness or kindness. And that is either giving it Or receiving it and then I once was on a bus on a train and the train broke down so I got off the train and I discovered a new type of happiness or kindness and that was one that I wasn't even anything to do with I saw people I saw a group of lads helping a homeless man on a platform on a train with the lady who was on the platform who was working there helping him get to where he needed to be and I was like, that's a whole new level of happiness or kindness for me. And I'm, I'm nothing to do with it, but I'm experiencing it and witnessing it. And that was beautiful for me. Mm. And, then I'm, and then after that, I got on the train and I was like, if I've always thought they were just giving or receiving, and now I've just uncovered another one, witnessing it or experiencing it or seeing it, there must be others. So I thought, Imagination if I can imagine that that type of kind act is happening everywhere around the world. And it was making me smile. And I was like, this is another level of happiness or kindness that I'm giving myself. Mm. And then I realized that if I'm giving it and I'm receiving it and I can experience it or I can imagine it, maybe I can give it to myself actually. So that was another level. And then to bring it all together, I had to really explore What actually does please, thank you, well done, or sorry mean? I had to deeply understand what they really meant. Time is precious. Energy is precious. If someone's doing something for you and you say thank you, I deeply feel that now. Mm. And I don't think I ever fully appreciated anything all my life because growing up, please was to get something. Thank you was that I needed to say after I got something. Otherwise I used to get a whack. Sorry was something to stop me getting whacked and I never heard well done. So I think understanding the meaning behind some of those things was really, really important for me, Cooper. And imagination, the work that I've done with the brain and imagination is, is so powerful, mate. Like just, thinking about smiling makes me smile like
1: yeah yeah there's, there's so much in that that I, I don't really want to go in. I mean I'd love to go into right now but we're gonna go forever if we just keep talking but what you just touched on there with this idea of thanking people and genuinely genuinely thanking them is something I teach in my workshops when I talk about kindness which is one of my core values that I speak of in my workshops and I say to people when you go to a service station and you're in a really good mood and somebody serves you, you know, how you kind of say to them like, Oh, thanks so much. You have a great day. And it's like, you're in that mood. You can create that mood by genuinely saying like, Oh, thank you so much. I hope you have a really good day and mean it. That's actually yeah. giving that energy to that person. And like you said, thank you so often is a transactional thing. Whereas if we can turn thank you into an actual act of kindness it can really change the way that we actually think of this thing of kindness and this thing of happiness. If we can really lean into what, like you said, it just resonated so much with me, what you just said about the, sorry, thank you. Um, and please the context on what you, in the words that you're saying means so much more than the actual words and the feeling that you're presenting when you're saying it to somebody, you can feel the energy in somebody when they really appreciate you compared to when someone says, Oh, thanks. So I just think there's a lot in that for people next time you have those interactions, when you are saying, thank you, or when you are saying, please do it from a place of gratitude. And, And when it, when it relates to gratitude, a really great way that I got communicated this from my sports psychologist was he said, gratitude is, shouldn't be a thought. It should be a feeling. And once you go a bit deeper from this gratitude, being a thought into it, actually being a feeling coming from you being grateful rather than, oh, what am I grateful for today? Oh, I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the ocean. (laughs) Whereas it's like, sit with that feeling, be like, oh, I'm so grateful for my family because they do this for me. And think back to something they did for you. I'm so grateful for the ocean because of the connection I have to it. There's so much more depth to things if you are willing to put that context to it. Do you agree?
0: Massively, I agree. And I think what uh, another option as well that we can add in there is be grateful to our to to our brain and start to love our brain because mm. we're very quick to criticize or call us or call ourselves an idiot and if self-talk. we do something wrong. Self-talk is so powerful and encourage I call it even self-encouragement now because mm. I think we're so quick to call ourselves an idiot or stupid when we do something wrong and that our brain's listening to that but then we thank God or we thank our friends or we thank everyone else when something goes right. And our brain's probably there going, hold on a minute. I, I contributed to that a little bit, you know, like, please at least, yes, thank everyone else. Absolutely. But please just give, my, yeah. give me a little bit of a thumbs up that that you appreciate me as well. And I think, so I think that's really powerful. I think that when I started loving my brain, really loving my brain and giving it good fuel in every area, self-talk, food and drink, media i don't watch any negative media social media everything that i try to watch is positive because i think we've got to be really careful what we watch and what we listen to because if it's a negative song the only one time i've had a negative performance djing was actually in sydney when all the songs was all hip-hop all night and it was so degrading i've never had a bad a bad dj set all my life i'm very grateful to say that but that one I came away from it, all hip-hop, degrading towards women, swearing, negative, violence, and there were the requests all night. And it abs- it drained me more than mm. I help now people who've gone through molestation, who've had childhood traumas that that I couldn't even imagine, and and, and and massive, massive challenges in their life. And I think that I've never felt as drained as I did of playing music that night that was all... Degrading, violent, sad, because I think music is very, very powerful. Mm. And in fact, I've just helped a gentleman from Sweden, very successful guy who has a company that was in 20,000 stores throughout the US. And he said one of the most powerful things that I helped him with was changing his playlist. He was listening to hard rock and really heavy metal, damaging music. And he completely changed his playlist. And he said, driving home, for eight hours per day from Spain to Sweden, eight hours per day for six days of the week with his girlfriend in the car with this new playlist. They both noticed how massively that changed their life in a in a happy in a happy way.
1: Wow, it's so interesting. Yeah, music's such a powerful thing and can really enhance or be destructive for our emotions. It's it's interesting you brought that up. Um mm. yeah, I guess. One of the last questions I'm going to ask you, what's next? How do people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about your program, Hello Happiness, and, yeah, what's on the future for you? And, yeah, I mean, best of luck with getting back to being able to hang out with your kid. I I mean, I don't want to go too much into that. I feel like that is quite a personal thing, but from me and hopefully all my audience, it sounds like you're on a great path now, and I think it is important for second chances and people to get that opportunity once things turn around in their life um yeah what's the next step for you moving forward
0: well i'm living at the moment in spain but i've got an opportunity to go back to the uk for a little while and a contract over the summer and then towards the end of the summer to go to dubai um for six weeks as well to look at my, maybe my my program and maybe even putting my program into like a theater environment so the happiness hello happiness becomes more of a show I've also got the opportunity actually to, I've got a friend who wants to, who's an editor and a publisher. He wants to help me write a series of books from my story, from all the cautionary tales that I've I've learned from. Mm. Another guy who wants to help me produce a podcast. So I've got some really exciting opportunities coming up, but I think I'm glad you asked me that question because there's a little bit of me that actually, and I don't know whether this will happen, but I would like it to. I want to start ticking a few things off my bucket list, but also help other people do it as well.
1: Mm. And I think
0: when I'm in Dubai, I want to do the skydive over the palm. And I want to swim with sharks um, in Australia, whether it's in a cage with a great white or just being able to swim with sharks or somewhere in South Africa or whatever. But I think I would love one opportunity at some point to maybe come and spend a few weeks seeing some friends that i've got in the gold coast actually and i think i'd like to learn a little bit of how to surf
1: all right fun <laughs> easy done that's an easy one when it, if you're on the gold coast i'll take you surfing we will um no if you come out here it'd be great to connect and learn more about your program how i can implement some of the things that you teach because obviously it sounds like you're very successful in the space and have a lot of great clients and yeah, I'd love to learn from you and bring you in to maybe come do some good human factory workshops even with me when you're over here. So if you're in Australia, surfing's well and truly a big tick from my end. I'll take you surfing any um,
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been phenomenal having this conversation, man. Your story is incredible. It's great to... I love hearing people's stories that do have a lot of ups and downs um, and giving people that second chance you've been through. Your upbringing obviously was very unique and very difficult at so many times but your way to overcome that your way to kind of go through some obviously crazy difficult times the last five to ten years with um, homelessness and addiction but then the way to turn it around to see how happy you are now and then your zest for really helping others it is a really testament to the growth that it seems like you've had man so you should be really proud of yourself as well and hopefully you do now do that work with yourself to show some gratitude towards the growth that you've had. But the last question I do finish every good humans episode with is what does being a good human mean to Rick Cropper?
0: I think being a good human means to me asking myself every day. um, If I was to die today, what dreams may die with me? So I'm actually doing something that I fulfill and something that, Fulfills me is having a worthy goal, something that's meaningful, something that's helping other people, something that's really, really giving unconditionally to others, and taking at least one step towards that goal, helping other people each and every moment of each and every day. And try whether that could be a simple smile, or it could be a session, or it could be anything. You know, I just think, just give, I think. I want to die an an honest, giving gentleman. And I think if I can be honest each and every day, if I can give something each and every day, and if I can look at myself in the mirror at the end of every day and say that I'm a gentleman, I think that's okay for me.
1: Man, great answer. And, And it's really cool to see the direction that your life is taking now. It's been an incredible conversation. I've learned so many really reflective things and I think the listeners would have too. If you're still here all the way at the end of this podcast, a big thanks to everyone who has tuned in. Um, do you have Instagram? It's funny. I don't even, I only if I have you on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got my, my private Instagram, which is at Rick underscore Cropper.
1: I'll leave it in the show notes. Do you have one Paolo happiness?
0: Yeah, at love, hello, happy on all my Instagram or Twitter. I don't really do a lot on it up to now. That's okay. Do, do you
1: have a website as well?
0: Yeah. it's Okay. It's, it, my email is smile at hellohappiness.uk.
1: <laughs> cool.
0: <laughs> and well, my website is hellohappiness.uk.
1: Okay, great. I'll leave all them in the show notes anyway for anyone, anyone who wants to, yeah, get in contact with you, learn a bit more about your program, how they can yeah get in touch and get you to yeah spread some happiness because we definitely need as many people like yourself and myself around the world because yeah the world we're all trying to navigate through can be difficult at times but yeah it's been phenomenal having this conversation I'm really appreciative of your vulnerability and your openness and your willingness to share parts of your story that you obviously haven't shared with many if any so yeah i'm sure all the listeners will be extremely appreciative of your yeah rawness so thanks so much for coming on good humans podcast
0: thank you so much cooper can i just say one more thing before i know that of it's course you the can end of it but it's just it's around mental health and i think i feel i need to say it is that i know that we are uh, told to look after um, mental health awareness but i think what's really important is mental health acceptance and, and taking action and appreciation for it and I think we're also told that we need to and I've obviously spoken a lot today but I think we're told and encouraged that we need to speak more or talk more but I think what's really helpful is if we can educate ourselves and each other to be able to listen more and not just mm-hmm. listen really pay attention because there's a lot of people out in the world who are really struggling who are on their knees begging for help and i think if we can become good humans that can listen and really pay attention and really care about what each other is saying i think we can not only change lives but we could quite possibly save a lot more too
1: Mm, man it's powerful stuff i really appreciate you adding that it is so important that we do realize mental health is I don't even want to say a problem. I just think it's something that we need to have awareness. And I love the idea of listening a bit more actively. And I think it ties very well into what you were saying before. The people around you, if they're not supportive, it's generally because they're so self-obsessed or going through, going through their own challenges. So it is so important to listen, to offer it somewhere to listen. And, and I had a really good quote recently, and I love this one. And it's, don't wait to talk, listen. Wow. And I think that's really powerful because so many of us, In a conversation and actively almost waiting to share our thing. And I'm a sucker for Mm. this too. And once I heard that quote, it really made me take a hard think like, how often am I I waiting to talk rather than actually listening? And I think that's a good one to finish the podcast on. A quote that you guys should all take with you when you're having a conversation with someone, don't wait to talk, listen and then talk. I I
0: absolutely, I absolutely love that. That is just, yeah, I'm so glad I, I had that little bit in just to get mm. that golden nugget from you, actually, because I love I love that. And I, and I think it's re- really, really important. So thank you,
1: Kuka. Yeah. Mate, thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. Um, yeah, keep in touch and hopefully you get that surf lesson in Australia. Thanks for jumping on. <laughs> Perfect. Cheers, pal.
0: This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs>